Hey guys, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and I'm joined right now with Andrew Yule, author of the Blackjack Insiders, how two pit bosses beat the casinos at their own games. Uh, I just got an early copy of the book. I know it's out now, uh, but I read it ahead of time, read it in like two or three days, uh, and I'm excited to talk about the book. And I know Andrew is excited to have his book on uh, bookshelves. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing great, Colin. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, uh, I am excited for sure. Awesome. Awesome. When did the book come out? Uh, the official release date is uh, today. So, oh, <laughs> nice! Hey, there. congratulations! Here, so they're they're they've been shipping already, but the official release date is today. So. Oh, awesome! Congratulations, and uh, may many books fly off the shelves. Fingers crossed. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so the book was interesting to me because it's really this kind of behind the scenes. You know, it's like there's a the the kind of dual life aspect, but there's really for. For those of us that are on the uh, advanced play side of things, uh, it's very rare that we get a peek into the other side of the game. But when you started, when you first got into the casino industry, what was your opinion of advantage players? That's a great question. You know, I didn't have a lot of insight into it. I tried to uh, do some reading on it before I was even in the business. Um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have enough experience in anything to really understand it. Uh, and we didn't really have that many or that ex- that much experience with them when it, when I started. So I guess I was kind of uh, ignorant to it all. Uh huh. And how did you even get into the casino industry? Well, I was in uh, construction in 2007, which was the worst time to be in construction, pretty much anywhere in the country. Yeah. Uh, Seriously. And after some unemployment, I saw an ad in the paper for an entry level pit clerk position at a casino for 11 bucks an hour and uh, took that and rolled it into dealing, rolled it into supervising, rolled it into managing. And uh, it just kind of never, never turned back. (laughs) So, so uh, where along that path did you uh, really start to learn about advantage play? Right about the time, well, that it existed, yeah, probably right about the time where we took that basic strategy test. You know, we talk about it in the book. Okay. About, uh, you know, how Mark kind of saw a little bit of potential in the in the basic strategy test. I had just become a supervisor just recently, and uh, uh, we started talking a little bit about the possibilities of advantage play and, you know, how to watch for it and things like that. Cool. So so for those who haven't read the book, uh, you you work with a guy named Mark, and that's how you actually got into learning card counting. What, how, how long do you think that training took? I want to say a few months. Uh, I, I was pretty enthusiastic about it. You know, run a, studying the basic strategy, running through decks, running through decks, flipping through cards. Uh, we, had, we had a couple of really, really good practice sessions in the shift manager's office, which is probably part of the <laughs> book that i love you know i was learning how to count cards yeah. in the manager's office doing doing practice sessions in there uh but it, but yeah i want to say three four months of really solid practice before i try to anything in the casino okay and uh i love the story you tell about dropping the count during your first it, it seems like it's your first in casino play with mark you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah sunset station <laughs> like you go to the bathroom yeah yeah, yeah. You you go to the bathroom. You, you know, frustrated with yourself that you lost the count. And he's like, "Oh, it was four. Like, don't worry about it. Keep going." It's like just so relatable to it, anyone who's you know. Yeah, yeah. You get that. I remember being kind of hot in the forehead. You know, a little, a little frustrated, a little embarrassed, and yeah, uh, it it's it's frustrating. You know, and but you know that you can't really afford to stay there and try to guess what it is or uh, make any mistakes like that. So you just kind of have to regroup and uh, get yourself back together. And from from the beginning of kind of in casino play, how long was that transition before you were, you know, approved to be on your own playing? Uh, after that session, uh, so my my first in casino play was a test run, and when when the test run went well, he, he handed me five hundred bucks and uh, <laughs> kind of said, "Just go run amok. I'm I'm leaving. I'll catch up uh-huh. later." Um. Awesome. So I worked under his bankroll that way for only a month, and then we decided to to make it into something a little bigger. Uh, I'll let I'll let people read the story for themselves to see how how you know the bankroll progresses and and all that stuff. Uh, but not surprisingly, most of my questions center around the casino side of things. You know, it's just so 
interesting uh, and helpful to hear hear that side. And and I know you're not going to give any, uh, you know, intel of of what places in Vegas to hit or anything like that. But but I have I've got some questions. I think it would be really interesting to uh, to my audience. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about casinos thinking superstitiously or not thinking in terms of EV? Yeah, for sure. I could probably talk for a couple episodes about that. <laughs> <laughs> the casinos share a lot of uh, superstitions that the players share, you know, about hot dealers and uh, don't deal so many hands and cut this in half. And, you know, there's a lot of a lot of superstitions out there. And I don't want to generalize the casinos, but it's certain employees inside the casinos have this view. And it, it does tend to be a lot of them, unfortunately. Um but you know, we or fortunately about, for for yeah. the card counters, yeah, fortunately for the card counters, uh, it doesn't always work out that way. I remember one particular boss sending me the slowest dealer he could possibly send because that was his ace in the hole. I heard him say that to his counterpart. That dealer uh-huh. was ace in the hole, and I was getting forty hands an hour out of this guy. I had to leave the table. <laughs> yeah, man, dude, casino. That I tell people. You know, the one thing that you can rely on with casinos is that you can't, like, they're completely inconsistent. You know, we've had casinos uh, send in really their fastest dealer to, to counteract card counters. We ha- had them send in their slowest dealer. We've had them change dealers every couple of hands, you know, to like change up the flow of the cards or something. But I, you know, I, so in 2002, What's that? Changing the flow of the cards. I love this one of my favorite superstitions. Yeah. So so in 2019, this is still prevalent? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I love Way too it. much, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Oh, that is so funny to me. Not awesome. The, well, not just the superstitions, but the there's a misconception out there that the dealers and the and that the staff and everybody knows the game really well and can can spot yep. things, but that's, you know, there's a lack of that out there too. Um, most, most of the dealers, most of the floors don't know basic strategy to a T. They don't, they wouldn't be able to tell you the right move to make on most given plays. Yeah. Uh, man, I, I was just, I was just playing last weekend. Um, and the, uh, the pit boss and dealer were giving me a hard time because I wasn't playing consistently, you know, right? <laughs> like that. one time I would, yeah, one time I'd hit a 16 against a 10, another time I wouldn't. You know, like, well, you got to be consistent. That's your problem. <laughs> you have to always hit it or never hit it, right? I hear that every day yeah. of my life at the casino. Always hit it or never <laughs> hit it. <laughs> and, and the number of dealers I've, I've heard that, that uh, tell me, well, I've been dealing a long time. I know the flow of the cards. Just It just kills me. It, yeah, I, I heard it when I was playing. I hear it when I'm working. It's I, I know exactly what you're talking about. The dealers think they know, oh, and the uh, the players that have played a lot think they know too. So my my next question for you: You talk about going south with chips, and I'm assuming that's rat holing. Yeah, yeah, same thing. And uh, do you recommend card counters, or or how would you recommend card counters go about this? Uh, well, I did a post on Gambling with an Edge about this, uh, like a whole a whole uh, dive into it. I don't, I don't know that okay, I would awesome. recommend it, but I did it myself. But you have to kind of be careful about the way that you do it. Uh, if you're going to take black off the table, make sure there's other people at the table playing black. Uh, same, you know, whatever whatever color you want to take off, there has to be other people at the table that have that in action or they're just going to know that it's you anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still think it, even if there's not, it can be beneficial uh, just to avoid the chips piling up in front of you, you know, attracting yeah. attention. But you don't want to take too much off because then, you know, they're looking, they're like, holy crap, there's 2,500 in black missing. Where, where did that all go? <laughs> and yeah. then, then they're keeping an extra yeah. eye on you. It's, it's kind of seems like weighing the pros and cons of, of just having, a, a like you said, a huge pile of chips growing in front of you uh, versus, versus uh, them, you know, being suspicious. We had a guy get backed off from a casino. Uh, I think he was up $60,000 and they backed him off. Because he was rat holing, they said, "We're backing you off for like the month because of suspicious activity," and they had no idea he was counting cards. Uh, it was just that's a great, story. you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love. It. Yeah, uh, 
I, I could tell you the casino and the name of the player, but, but, but I won't. Um, but it was like, really, you got backed off for, you know, he was just stuffing all his $500 chips in his pockets. Cause he just had so many and they're like, we don't, you know, you're, you're done for the month is what they said. Um, I would like to so say you that also t- modern supervisors don't care about that kind of stuff, but I, I, I can't say it with complete confidence because of stories like that, you know, not, not, not all supervisors yeah. are modern supervisors. So there's, yeah, it well, that some, some people it shouldn't really, but it, yeah, it's, I guess it, it's upsetting to some supervisors out there to that. Dude, I can't you know, say that this is funny. Yeah. I, I can't say it was a modern casino. <laughs> <laughs> this is like one of those out in the middle of nowhere places that he was just, you know, they were letting him play and, and he didn't know what to do with all these $500 chips. I'm surprised they had them at a place like that. Sometimes they do. <laughs> well, this was a place, uh, you know, uh, we actually won $500,000 there in the course of a year. And uh, what they told us while they were letting everybody on the team play is we're not worried about table games because we're making so much money off slot machines. But then once we hit 500K, they change, they change their tune. That's funny. That's basically like them yeah. inviting you to play, right? They can't get any better than that. Yep. Okay, so so you also talk about um, that's a good idea not to be around during the shift change. Uh, what, what if you've been losing? Is that good for one shift to tell the next, hey, this guy's down, you know? ten thousand dollars or whatever it could be but it but then you're you're relying totally on the information that that he passes over you know he, he might be passing over mm. stuff about rat holing he might anything that he passes over could catch the eye the eye or the ear of this of this incoming floor uh mm. if if he passes strictly that information that you're down 2500 then then great but if he passes on any information about your betting pattern or your you know, how you like to play or one crazy move that you made, you know, any, any small detail like that could catch the eye or the ear of the incoming floor. And, uh, it's, it's, it's tricky for sure. So I would imagine when the new shift comes on there, that's when they're going to be most suspicious of you is like, okay, who's this guy? What's he doing? What, you know, or, or is that not the case? No, it is. Especially if you're on a run, you know, if you're, if you got some big bets out there, they're they're gonna come right in and be like, "Oh, who's this guy?" and come over and look at your, look at pull you up on the screen. Maybe go check you out on the computer. Uh, you don't want to catch their eye right when they're coming in. So, depending on what you're betting, I would think they probably have some notes on you anyway, or is that not true? It's possible. Uh, you, you know, it depends on your history at that casino. If you're somebody that's been okay. around a lot, or you're, you know, you're regular. Myself, I frequented a lot of the same casinos when I was playing in Vegas and, you know, some of the other places we visited. Uh, so, yeah, that's possible. There could be other notes in there. Um, not something you want them to go to the, to the screen and check out because they usually will do that as, as they're coming in. You know, they'll go around and just kind of check all their racks, check on all their players. Um, it's, it's one of the only times a night where you can count on them being somewhat diligent about, <laughs> about checking on everything. Mm. You also talk about most casinos have a procedure for deck penetration. Uh, what does that actually look like? Because all I know is like this, you know, from the player's side of the table, and that some of them have notches. Uh, other casinos, it's like, yeah, it's kind. This place seems to cut off one point seven five. This casino seems to cut off one point two five. But what? How do they communicate a procedure from the casino side? Uh, it depends on the type of game. Uh, you know, if you're looking at a six or eight deck shoe game, uh, it'll look like approximately one deck or approximately a deck and a half, uh, something like that. If you're looking at a, um, a double deck game, it'll say 25 cards, 40 cards, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, a single deck, there's usually a hand rule, like, uh, the rule of seven, Mm -hmm. the players, Mm -hmm. the players plus the number of hands has to equal seven. Yeah. It just depends on the game type. Okay. Okay. So with the rule of seven, if there's three players, then they would do what? Uh, four. Two. Two. What's that? Four hands. Oh, f- four. Four rounds. Okay. And if there's one player, they'll do seven. Uh, six rounds. Six rounds supposedly. Some. Some. Got it. Some casinos use a rule of six, and some will use a rule of seven. I've seen seven the most, but I haven't played a lot of. Okay. Seven. I want to see it in Wendover. So. Okay. I want to I want to find out about the casinos with the rule of ten. 
Yeah, that's great. If you find that, let me know. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Let's put a little side bankroll together. Um, so uh, you also mentioned biometrica. Any like this wearing a hat throw it off, or you know, any like best advice? It's it doesn't. You know, I'm I'm in biometrica. I wear a lot of hats. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of casino, a lot of cameras in the casino. It's if they want to get the right picture of you, they're probably going to get it, you know, wearing a hat or trying to wear sunglasses or stuff like that. It's not most of the, most of the great players I know wear hats all the, all the time. And they're some of the most well-known players (laughs) that are out there. So does it help maybe a little bit? Does it, does it prevent? No, it doesn't prevent anything. Could you just talk, talk to them not being able to stop, looking at you when they're on the phone with surveillance or a manager? Well, the, uh, like I, if, I hope yeah, this go answers ahead. your question. But so, the, so the idea is to go on your run, win or lose, and be gone by the time that the supervisor has called surveillance to say, this guy is doing this, this guy's doing that. You know, he's betting a lot of money. Because uh, they probably will call once you, get up, once you get up to, you know, betting a few hundred dollars. They're going to call on you in most places. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. So the idea is by the time surveillance gets that call and looks at you to be gone, you don't want to be there for them to talk to you because they'll just, oh, that's this guy. And then the shift manager comes down and you get that familiar tap on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. So if you can be if you can this, be gone by the time that happens, that's ideal. Okay. Is this primarily in Vegas? Because, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I guess outside of Vegas, I just play through the heat. I, I did a lot too. It depends on the casino. Uh, a lot of the smaller places don't have biometrica. They might have the database, but they don't have the software, the uh, facial recognition mm-hmm. software. But if you're talking about like those big Indian casinos, like the ones in Southern California and in the Midwest and stuff, they would, I would equate those on the same level as a lot of the strip casinos. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, Any other card just rooms t- in Seattle and card rooms in California and elsewhere, you know, I definitely play through the heat there down in down in the south too. Uh, mm-hmm. I would play through most of that stuff too. Yeah, um, I mean, I just I just played uh, three days, some like twenty seven hours, uh, at, at a at a large tribal casino and just played through the heat <laughs> and because uh, i you know leaving after uh, leaving by the time they made a phone call it was like i'd spend more time driving than playing so i just went for it and you know worked out okay but but i understand in vegas it's just like man the heat can come down pretty quick it, it sure can uh <laughs> <laughs> i i mean i'm I have an extra edge when it comes to detecting the heat, right? I know what they're doing and yeah, and the phone calls they're making and what they're looking at most of the time. And I, you know, I still got a lot of those taps on the shoulder. So it, most of them came from Vegas. So yeah, the heat definitely comes faster in Vegas for sure. Any other just telltale signs of heat, especially in Vegas? Anytime they come over and look at the look at the monitor and then go right back to the phone for sure. I mean, that's better. Mm. Uh, that's one that most of us probably have seen and recognized by now uh if they're on the phone and make eye contact with you most most supervisors can't talk about a player on the phone without looking at them for some reason i don't <laughs> i don't know why but yeah uh, that that's a good one so uh, another quote you said it becomes apparent to me that no one on property had the authority to make the call to back me off the real bosses must have been on their days off how, how common is that <laughs> what's that laughlin laughlin i remember that yeah the edgewater I believe uh okay yeah yeah they if you play kind of early in the week you know almost almost any casino in the world their big bosses are off monday tuesday tuesday wednesday something like that nice uh that's that's just the way it is most places that's that's awesome i I actually this is a weird story but i I was playing in another country uh not that long ago i was actually on on vacation but found you know this little casino and uh i didn't have much money but i had a few thousand dollars and i was able to withdraw a thousand dollars a day from the atm so i was just like playing it you know hoping hoping to uh have more positive variance than negative but i wasn't i was i was losing and so i kept i was trying to see if they would comp uh mine and my wife stay at this resort and they kept putting me off and then they finally said well the casino manager isn't back until monday and it was like 
Friday. So they basically told me they had no one really that knew what they were doing all weekend. Or no one with the authority to do it, at least. Yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah. In in smaller towns, smaller places, for for sure. You know, there there's nobody that can make that call if the boss isn't isn't around. <laughs> in, in the in the bigger places, you know, another department or there's somebody there's somebody around that can do it. So, you share a story of a casino in the south where they wanted to backroom you, and you kind of you know clarified, are are you really saying you want to do this? Uh, and you know, kind of got out of it. Any pro tips? From you know you understanding the casino side on avoiding you know a back room. Uh, not nothing that I've learned from the from being on the casino side. That's just stuff that I knew from talking and reading forums. And uh, I guess I had heard maybe from a security officer that where I used to work that they're not allowed to touch you, and that they're not yeah. allowed to keep you there against your will if you haven't done anything illegal. So these guys, as much as they were trying to do that, you know, I just tried to clarify, like, are you saying that I have to stay here? Are you saying that I can't leave? Just, you know, yeah. anytime you're under pressure like that, just make yep. their in, make them state their intentions. Yep. That's awesome. I, I mean, I've, I've told the story before and I wrote in my book about later in my career when I knew better and the guy's like trying to get me to go to the back room, I'm staying where everyone can see me, see me, where there's cameras and old ladies at slot machines and saying, no, thank you. I would like to leave. I'd like to cash out and leave. And, you know, basically by not giving them any leverage, you know, they, they finally like came, uh, they came to their senses and cashed me out and I left. But, uh, for those listening that, that haven't heard this stuff before, just don't don't let them intimidate you. Don't put your hands up. Don't do anything that could look like you're uh, being aggressive. Just simply stay in a public place and say, "I would like to leave." Hands at your side. Walk to the front door, uh, and you know if they physically detain you, call Bobner Session and and get yourself a nice six six figure settlement. That's that's great. I. I... I uh, do tend to keep my hands up, just in the the palms out, non-threatening position, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just to make so the cameras can see my hands and make sure that, yeah, you know, I, that that's the only thing I would say about that. But yeah, for sure, don't let them intimidate you. Uh, the law's on your side; they can't they can't hold you, they can't keep you there. Uh, I've I've had similar experiences where they're just following me around, uh, trying to get me to go with them. Uh, and I didn't know where the cage was, so I'm just walking aimlessly, trying to hopefully hoping to run into a cage, so I can just get my money and get out mm-hmm. of there. Yeah, we did not want it to look like if if your hands were up, like if even if they walk into you, it could look like you pushed them, you know, or anything like that. Uh, you want to be really clear, but uh, I like the palms up. That's it's uh, pretty clear. So one of our uh, I. Mentioned this to you before I started recording, but I asked on our forum, you know, what questions people had for you, and one of them was, uh, "This person wants to know what on earth happened to the Oasis? Now it's just like a parking garage and some offices." Yeah. Do you have any intel on that? <laughs> uh, just from being a resident of Mesquite, I wouldn't call it inside intel or anything, but it. it <laughs> uh, Black gaming, as it used to be called, had to got to the point where they needed to close down one casino and the Oasis. Uh, revenue generating though it was, it was the most expensive to keep up. Uh, the ceilings were falling in, you know, <laughs> it was just an old, yeah. an old building from being Cyred's pepper mill back in the day. And okay. I think it was even something before that Western village or something. It's been there for a long, long time. And, uh, they just, it was a fun place. It was kind of the hot place in town to be, but it, they just couldn't afford to keep it standing anymore. They did tear it down, but they probably didn't have to. It would have fallen over on its own. <laughs> That's funny. Too too uh, risky and too expensive to to maintain something parts, in that of, that bad of shape. Parts of ceiling were like falling into the casino. <laughs> I mean, it was. There should be some jackpot if uh, if ceiling tiles fall on you. you yeah, know? the legal jackpot. You're the big maybe. winner. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so so our next uh, question from the forum is is in your mind, how suspicious is back counting, not to you, but to the pit in general? Not very. Yes, great answer. You're just watching the game is all yeah. it looks like, yeah. right? And most of the time, you know, they're not thinking about stuff like that. They're thinking about, oh, I got to swipe in this rating card. I got to 
you know, count these chips. I got to go make this comp, you know, there's some, somebody standing behind a table, you know, by the time you find a good count, sit down and, and fire at it, you know, they might not even remember that you were the guy that was standing there watching the table. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. That's a great question. Uh, what, what person, Hey, uh, I'll let the, uh, the forum person know. So our next uh, forum question is what percentage of card counters that you've backed off were identified by surveillance versus the pit? Every card counter I've personally backed off has been one that I personally identified. Okay. What, you might be unique in this because you're knowledgeable about advantage play. Right. What, what do you think is, is yeah. the most common surveillance or, or pit surveillance for sure. Okay. Okay. Cool. And, and just how much are they watching for it? I wouldn't say that they're watching for it. Uh, they're not running down just random decks and stuff. They've got a lot of stuff they're worrying about up there. And, uh, there's just those identifiers that catch their eye, you know, a big, a big bet spread or a goofy move or something like that that'll catch their eye there, but they're not up there, you know, on card counter watch. Just like the floors, you know, yeah. we talked about the floors, you know, they're worrying about so many other things and surveillance is even more than that. They're looking for, you know, undesirable, undesirable people. They're looking for people on the slots. They're looking for all kinds of different things. So, so that card counter that doesn't buy insurance at a true three isn't, uh, you know, just throwing surveillance off, off his scent. No, no. Index numbers rarely throw surveillance off. I would say I, I, all right. So if people don't believe me, maybe they'll believe you. <laughs> I, I mean, I hope so. Uh, index plays, if anything, thro- or if you stick to the way that you're supposed to play, that throws them off because they don't know about yes. index plays. Uh, so I, I love the story about Ken's advantage play being the comps. Uh, you know, I've known I've known a few APs. You know that that uh, really their their move was milking the comps. Uh, how what kind of stakes do you think? A player needs to to really make that worth worth their time on tables because on slots it's uh, well know, almost nothing but yeah on, on tables yeah green chips at least yeah that's what that's what I would have thought and, and even then green chips it's probably gonna just not gonna be really that worth your time unless you just really enjoy it yeah depending on the house yeah I mean in a you know I was talking about Ken and he we were in mesquite the comps are a little more generous there uh the floors had more authority to write the comps than they than they do now you know this was years ago so uh it it takes at least i would say a 50 dollar bet in an average casino to to get any any sort of leverage with comps but uh but if, if you've got the bankroll you can be betting green or black action and just just like uh Small, small enough bet spread to make it a break-even or, or positive EV game, slow the game down, and then get the value out of the comps. That was kind of Mark's strategy. Uh, Ken's I mean, not, strategy, not Mark, I'm yeah. sorry. Ken, Ken's strategy. Yeah, he he would make the card changes take forever. You know, he'd talk to the dealers and get a, get all the players involved. What should I do? What should I do? Uh, let's take a vote, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, all these different, anything you could do to slow the game down. Uh He'd move around a lot. He'd go, you know, go, I'll, I'll be right back. I'll be right back and leave his chips on the table so the rating stays open and be gone for 20 minutes. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole book Funny. about stuff like that. Uh, Comp City. Uh, yeah. That, that's a great yep. for for these kinds of tactics. Max, Max Rubin, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people do it. It's I've always been a go-after-the-money kind of guy. <laughs> but but if if you enjoy the comps, you know, it can be done. Yeah, me too. I mean, you you and I are pretty similar in our philosophies. I think I was a go for the money guy. I didn't want to waste any time uh, either. But that that that's what was part of uh, just the funny stuff about being involved with Ken was how how different our philosophies were and how different our strategies were, and that that made our relationship a little bit more interesting. Sometimes, you know, getting in play arguments about which way was better, and you guys spend too much yeah. money, and you did you mess around too much. Well, he's got he's got a you know a meal at at a casino, and I've got the money. So, <laughs> I guess it depends what you want more. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Ken Ken had a 
a really good job. So he, he wasn't, he didn't yeah. need to be gambling for money. Like I did at that point in my life. And yeah. He, and he was an older guy too. He was, he was, uh, in his retirement stage of blackjack, I would say. Well, there, you know, there's something just fun about, about beating the game and, and that was his way of beating the game and the money wasn't, wasn't the reward and he uh, for, for he him. Was, I, I get that. He knew that he was better than yeah. the game and he knew that he probably yeah. could make more money, but he didn't want to, he didn't want to end up getting backed off and this was his way to, yeah. to keep his longevity and being able to keep vacationing there and getting his, getting his massages that he wanted to get and basically get every, everything he wanted for free. It's, yep. not, it's not such a well. Bad good for him. <laughs> the, yeah, the, I I had a guy at a boot camp once uh, uh, that he said he wanted me to give him a break even bet spread, like not positive EV, just break even. And I was like, well, how much are you willing to lose? He said, well, if I lost a million dollars, I'd have to slow down. And I said, well, all right, here's a break even bet spread. You know, million dollar bankroll. And he just wanted he wanted to know that he wasn't playing a losing game, and he wanted the comps. Uh, he was like a retired pharmaceuticals guy that had, you know, more money than he knew what to do with. And, and the thought of, you know, not playing a losing game, getting the comps was what he wanted. So, uh, I guess making, you know, a hundred, 200 bucks an hour at the tables is, is uninteresting if, if you're at that stage in your life. It's, it's funny the way that advantage players, you know, we think about stuff like that. Uh, but I, my opinion is in reality, it wouldn't make a difference if he was breaking even or making $200 at the table, the evaluation process to me would be the same. Uh, I don't, hmm. I don't think the results of, I don't think he would get backed off if he was making 200 bucks an hour yeah. with that, with a bankroll that size. That's just kind yeah. of the way that we read into things like that more than, more than we have to. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So our next question is in chapter 16, the seventh circle of hell uh, Andrew and Mark suffer a huge downswing. The person said, uh, I really like how this was written because as a newbie, I'm trying to prepare for these kinds of losses. So what he wants to know is kind of what, what level of risk were you guys playing at? 1%, uh, even less than 1%. 1%. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, go ahead. What was the rest of the question? Just how to prepare for losses like that? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think the point is, even with 1% risk of ruin, that, that's 1% of losing your entire bank. Yeah, roll, that's but one There's still going to be, yeah. <laughs> but like the, but number, but it's, you know, it's totally possible. 1% chances happen all the time. And and even aside from losing the entire bankroll, that's not saying you won't have losing streaks, you know? It'd be nice if it was 1% chance of a horrific losing streak, but it's not, it's... You know, it's one percent of losing everything. There's and then yeah. there's twice as much chance that you lose almost everything. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. Uh, I mean, talk a little bit about just battling back. It was that that losing streak that I went through was one of the toughest things I've ever had to deal with, uh, and I've been divorced. Like it's, it, I, I wouldn't mm. wish it on anybody. You just have to trust that you're better than the game. Uh, you just put in your hours, just like if the casino takes a big hit from one guy, they 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 shouldn't anyway close the table. You just have to have to keep keep it open, keep your table open, keep playing. Uh, don't vary from your from your strategy. The strategy is the way it is for a reason, and you just have to you just have to trust that it's going to come out in the end. And <laughs> I'm not going to lie and say it's easy. It's difficult. I had a lot of phone calls with Mark and a lot of sitting, staring at a blank wall, you know, wondering whether I'm yeah. really, really better than this game or whether I, you know, I'm mm-hmm. maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. But if you put the time in, yes, your system's proven. You know, you just have to trust it. Yeah. Well, I've got another couple of quotes that are on the same idea. One of them is is probably, you know, one of my favorite quotes from the book. He said, there was, uh, this was what a partner is supposed to do. He was lifting me up when morale was low, keeping me focused on the task at hand, while at the same time making sure I was accountable to him for putting in the time and effort to turn the situation around. I was reaping one of the major benefits of having a partner as opposed to playing on my own. There was a mutual support system, and it was exactly what I needed. I think anyone that's played Blackjack for any length of time can relate to that that quote of, 
you know, here's my question for you is, uh, did you have any other support system outside of Mark during this? Uh, my parents, uh, they were the only ones that knew any, any details. I mean, a lot of people knew what I was doing, but nobody knew amounts and Mm -hmm. nobody got the kind of phone calls that Mark and my parents got. Uh, yeah. You know, your parents are a different kind of support system. My parents were anyway, you know, because they didn't know the game. It's different from yeah. When I call my mom, she's like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" <laughs> you know, that sounds. <laughs> but what are you gonna do? But when you call Mark, yeah, it's like just you got to keep playing. You're better than this. You can do this. Uh, yeah. But out, outside of that, I was kind of on an island with the <laughs> with the rest of the world. I didn't know really any other advantage players. I didn't. We we weren't connected with anybody. It was just kind of him and I. That that team thing is is pretty incredible. It, 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 I don't. I, there's no way I could have been able to handle some of the losing streaks that I that I handled with without him. I remember specifically there was when we were in uh, Mississippi. We were in a hotel in Ocean Springs, and uh, I remember I lost like something like nine or ten thousand that day, which was a huge. It, you know, with our structure mm-hmm. was a huge number for for a single day. And, uh, and he, yeah. had, he had all had a opposite. He had won something like 11,000 mm-hmm. and he said, just remember, we're still up. And I go, no, you're up. I got my mm. kicked. He goes, no, we're, <laughs> we're up. We're a team. And that just totally, that was a, that was a really defining moment for me in the whole team's team state of mind. Yeah. That's awesome. It, to, to have, have a partner that's, you know, not gonna kind of, you know, have ego involved of like, well, why are you losing? I'm winning. Uh, I remember the opposite once. I played like an all night session at a casino. And at the end of it, I was up like $20,000. And I was ecstatic because we'd been on a losing streak. And uh, I call my teammate to be like, dude, you know, I'm up 20 grand. And he's like, hey, way to go. Uh, Just so you know, I lost 30,000 last night. (laughs) And it was like... It was, you know, it was initially defeating, but I was like, hey, you know what? I'm glad I won because it's a lot easier to stomach his $30,000 loss uh, with my $20,000 win. He was, uh, for for those wondering, he was playing a different advantage play that that had a lot more variance. And so, uh, you know, it was was hard to stomach, but, but, uh, man, having, having that support system, uh, it's just so, so necessary, you know, otherwise you get stuck in your own head. Um, I like this quote too. You said, I got so competitive that the feeling of losing ate at my pride. Having a partner to bring me back to reality was helpful beyond explanation. Oh, for sure. For sure. Because, it, it, you know, you, you do get competitive because you know you're better than the game. And, and when the game's beating you, it's it's tough to, to stomach. You know, you get really like angry sometimes or you, you shouldn't, but it's, yeah. you know, it's just human nature. Uh, yeah. Without I mean, somebody a- angry just or. Remind you of where you are and why you're there it's it's, sometimes it can it can get out of control yeah i mean getting angry or or feeling ashamed you know like i don't like it's so hard to tell other people hey i'm i'm losing you know because we're we're in there to beat the game it it can be just like a huge hit hit to the ego to say you know I i don't want people knowing when i'm on a losing streak uh but but it also provides that opportunity for for the support system to say, "Look, you know, happens to the best of us. Keep grinding." And I always thought it was funny, like the difference between advantage players and regular gamblers when they're losing, because regular gamblers want to keep buying in and keep chasing, and they want to bet more money. And I remember, you know, when I was on my losing streaks, I just wanted to go sit at home and stare at the ceiling. Like I didn't, you know, I was almost afraid to play at one point. You know, when it got yeah. so mm-hmm. bad. So I always found mm-hmm. that interesting, the, the mentalities different, you know, between gamblers and, and players like us. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. So after Chapter 16 is followed up with Chapter 17, call it a comeback. And, and you, you, you mentioned picking apart pit after pit. And you said, uh, we exploited weaknesses and shift changes and staff rotation. Can you allude to any of those weaknesses? Uh, just, you know, when we would normally play in the beginning, we would go eat at a shift change or something and be back this time. We just kind of took it to another level. We were only there for a, for a short amount of time. So we would just disappear long enough 
for them to turn over their information and then come right back. Mm-hmm. And then we mm. ended not to worry about the surveillance shift change so much, but we did this time. You know, we were trying to stay off everybody's radar, so we disappear again for a, just a few minutes while the survey, while we, you know, our perceived surveillance shift change, uh, okay. which is different from the pit. So just kind of kind of trying to cut every corner we could cut without without uh, exposing ourselves. So trying to avoid shift change was one of your guys' big uh, big strategies to stay off their you know their radar, especially when we played together. Because you know, oh okay, when when him and I were in the same building, you know, we took extra measures like that. I wouldn't say that on a on a normal playing session, me just walking into a casino, I would really worry about the shift change too much. Uh, depending yeah. on what kind of run I was in and what I had in front of me. But when we played together, when we were in the same building, uh, we really tried to stay away from the shift changes, both pit and okay. On a kind of different topic, you mentioned that all serious players dislike CSMs. Uh, can you sh- share your view on them in today's and even tomorrow's casino environment? From the casino standpoint, uh, they're fantastic. Oh. But from a serious standpoint, you know, it's just, it's just tough to. Obviously, counters can't play them, but even serious blackjack players, you know, they're serious. Regular players are superstitious. They don't want machines involved in their, you know, in their fate. They want they want the hand shuffle. Uh, they want to see the they want to see the shoe. They don't want anything other than that. That's why you see the high limit rooms not have shuffle machines and not have really any machinery back there a lot of times. Uh, but from a casino so, standpoint, especially at low limits, you know they're going to become more prevalent for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's that's my instinct too. I was talking with uh, my buddy Joe, who's you know made seven figures as a card counter. We're, we're really just talking about like where do we see this going, and and kind of the thought was. Over the years, the low, low limit tables are, are going to get worse. But, you know, it's going to be, it's hard to picture CSMs taking over, you know, the more, ser- the more serious gamblers are, are just not going to put up with them, at least in the U.S. I don't think any minimum above $15 is in danger of getting a CSM on it anytime soon. Uh, yeah. We talked about those 5 and $10 tables, you know, within the next few years, I could see, I could see them all being that way. Yeah. Well, with inflation, you know, those $10 tables are now basically what, you know, or the $15 tables are now what $10 tables were 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and the reality is, you know, if you have a $10 a $15 or a $25, you know, hand shuffle game or even machine shuffle game and next to it you have a 5 or $10 continuous shuffle machine there's going to be a market for both. You know, there's going to be a fair amount of people yeah. going to be like, no, I want to play this. I don't care about a machine. It's cheaper. Yeah. Same thing with the six to fives. I kind of put that in the same category. You know, if you have a $5, six to five table or a $10, three to two table, there's, there's plenty of people that are willing to pay $5 for six to five. That's why they're, that's why they're yeah. becoming so prevalent. You know, they're everybody in, yep. know, <laughs> our audience knows that it sucks, but <laughs> you know, the, there's, yeah, plenty of people out there who don't that are willing to play it and so csms and yeah. fives it's it's the bane of our existence but unfortunately it's becoming becoming more popular and will probably continue to do so yeah it's like the table games equivalent of people playing penny slots that just have a huge house house edge you know the rather than playing coined the phase the phrase penny slots has got to be the smartest market person <laughs> ever right who can call something a penny slot that costs four dollars a spin at a max bet? <laughs> that's funny. Oh man, that's a really good point. All right, so we have a common hero <laughs> in Tommy Highland, and there's a section of the book where you talk about his advice, and particularly the line that stood out to me is he says, "If you purposefully make the wrong play, you're costing yourself money, and I don't do anything that costs me money." And he said, "I just sit down and do what I'm there to do." If they back me off, so be it. How how helpful was it to you and Mark to get you know Tommy's advice at that point in your guys' career? It was monumental because uh, that was kind mm. of the that was kind of the strategy that we'd had all along anyway. Like we're going to hit all these places, 
we were a minimize expenses, maximize profits. So we didn't do any, we didn't have cover plays. We didn't have anything like that. So to have a player like that with that kind of reputation, with that kind of history, reinforce the strategy that we already had. I mean, talk about a support system. I mean, that was like, that was the rock that held us up during mm-hmm. that time. That was crazy. That's awesome, man. He's He's been such an inspiration to, you know, uh, the blackjack apprenticeship community and to myself too. It's, it's, uh, we're very fortunate to have someone like that. that can say, look, this is the way I beat the game decade after decade, you know, don't get cute with this. Just do what you're there to do. Take their money, let them make them back you off. I can see that being extra, uh, applicable for you since, you know, you had the bigger team like he had and, uh, you know, he was able to do it for so long and his team was able to do it for so long. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty incredible. It really is. So I've, I've got a couple more questions for you. Um, there's a quote you said, this is why you counted cards. The feeling you got knowing you were better than the game combined with seeing piles of money all over your hotel room was absolutely euphoric. So my question is, which that's just a great, that's a great uh, quote, but do you miss your time as, as an AP? I miss winning. <laughs> <laughs> everybody misses winning right but uh yeah, to, yeah to be honest not really uh yeah you know i was i was single when i when i did that i you know i'm married mm-hmm. now uh i have a, my job is more serious and at a higher level now than it was back then mm-hmm. uh the emotional highs and lows you know the, obviously the highs are great it's counting stacks of hundred dollar bills there's nothing like that but but going through the, the losses and even after I, you know, I did go through a stint again where I played some more, uh, after I was married and I didn't have the time, you know, you, if you take a big loss, it's, it's easy to take a big loss, but it's not always easy to get it all back. You know? Uh, yeah, I just didn't have the time to put in to make sure that I could come out ahead. You know, when we were playing seriously, yeah. we were playing 10 hours a day, uh, so, so I know that even even at that level, you can take a big loss. So when I only have several sure. hours a week to play, you know, I could yeah be chasing a two thousand dollar loss for two months. You know, I don't I don't I don't want to yeah. do that. I don't I'm not in the state of mind to be chasing that kind of money for. You know, my life's different now. It's just, so I don't miss yeah. it in general. Obviously, the winning was great and the 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 memories were great, but. It, I don't uh, wish that upon myself again. <laughs> well, you're going to change your tune when I find that uh, rule of 10 single deck game. Oh, I hope you find it. hope you find it. <laughs> I would gladly come out for that. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, I'll be looking for it. Okay, I've got one last question. This is probably going to be the toughest to answer, but what are your favorite places to eat in Las Vegas? That's topical. Uh <laughs> My favorite places to eat, huh? Uh, Red Rock's got a great restaurant in there. Uh, they is that the the steakhouse? The uh, yeah, Yard House. What a, they, they've actually got several. Oh great restaurants, yeah, but, Yard House is good. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great place to eat. Uh, the Palms has a has a really nice restaurant. They've done some things with their cafe there. Some remodeling. Any other uh, local? Green Valley Ranch has got some got some great food in there. Uh, yeah, they, they have a, a good uh, buffet, actually. I'm not a big buffet guy, but they're pretty good. Anytime you can get a nice all-you-can-eat. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> any, any non-casino favorites as a local? Oh, for sure, yeah. Most of my real favorite restaurants are, are uh, non-casino. Uh, I, yeah, I like uh, Bonefish Grill. is nice. Uh, there's a couple okay. sushi, good sushi places around. Sushi Coma, uh, Janka. There we go. Now we're the, cooking. The, the sushi, sushi Coma. Yeah, Coma. It's on uh, Flamingo and Durango. Pretty good stuff. All right. And what was the other sushi place you said? Uh, Janga. It's on Sunset and Fort Apache. Really good. All right. Anything else? Uh. Oh, probably. That's one of our favorite things to do is eat out. Or that's kind of a guilty pleasure of ours. Uh, my wife and I. any any good breakfast breakfast places that you can still get breakfast at you know eleven or twelve when you're finally awake. 
Yeah, Eggworks is great. Uh, Black mm. Bear is great. I think I had a scene, scene, I'm not even sure if it made it into the book, to be honest, where I was sitting with Ken Cho at, uh, at Black Bear Diner after after an all-night bender at some of our favorite restaurants. <laughs> nice. All right, so we got Eggworks, Black Bear Diner, uh, if you want breakfast, Sushi Coma and Jenga if you want sushi, Bonefish Grill, and then some casinos, but we'll probably stick to the non-casino places. Any, anything... That, that you're thinking of now that people have to know as far as well i was thinking food but actually as far as anything uh i think we kind of covered uh covered a lot of it awesome well thanks so much for uh being on here i mean yeah nothing nothing else you want to let people know or, or where, where can people find your book oh it's on amazon it's on barnes noble you can get it on the uh las vegas advisor or huntington press website uh Nice. Just ask that if you if you where do you want like people it? to buy it? Uh, for me personally, <laughs> you know, like, do you get more money if it, if the people buy it on Huntington Press's website? Uh, no, the the royalty okay. is the same no matter where you buy them. All right, as long as people get it in their get it in their laps and they like it, I just I'm I'm fine awesome. wherever they want to buy it. All, all I ask is that if you do like it, uh, head over to Amazon and leave a leave a review. Those are super super helpful and uh, visibility and all that stuff. Yeah, I was going to say that same thing. I know that that's a really big deal for for uh, you know book book ratings and reviews. If you guys uh, have read uh, read his book, uh, head over to Amazon and, and leave a rating and a review. Especially if you can do it as a what's it called a verified purchaser. Uh, oh, yeah. That's going to be really really helpful and and uh, get get that sales rank up on Amazon. Uh, so well, I'll put a link below in you know below the podcast so people can just get a direct link to Amazon to buy the Blackjack Insiders and uh, where can people you like do Twitter or anything like that? I do I do I don't do Twitter I probably should but I don't I do uh, Facebook at Andrew Yule uh, writer and I do uh, Instagram awesome. at Andrew Yule too easily. Awesome, awesome. People can find you there if they have follow up questions. And uh, are you still going to be writing for LVA or, or yeah, with an edge the, blog or anything? Uh, I still do the question of the day feature. I still am involved with that. I'm um, thinking about getting the gambling with an edge blog back up, uh, but no, uh, no exact dates or anything on that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I know you're working on uh, your first fiction book, so I'll let you get back to that. Thank you so much for uh, sharing about your book and about your experience from the casino side of things. It's been uh, cool, and I'm sure people are getting a lot of a lot of good uh, input from you. So thank you. Absolutely. It's been a blast talking to you. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, you guys can find his book in the notes below, and uh, otherwise we'll catch you next time. 